you got 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. I just want to read verse 7. Our text is actually going to be from verse 6 all the way to verse 11. But just to begin with, we'll start with verse 7, a very familiar passage. It says there, casting all your care upon him. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. or talking about the Lord. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So I just want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about casting your cares on the Lord tonight. Let's pray together, and then we'll begin to, to look at this passage together. Father, would you help me to be of some help to these folks tonight? Um, I think the best way I can do that is just be faithful to your word. Lord, you know, you know me better than anybody. And you know that I'm probably not the, I'm definitely not <laughs> the, uh, the most useful vessel but, Lord, if you will use me, then I can actually be of use. And I pray for these people. You know exactly what they need. And I pray that what your word does is it speaks to that need and that they will indeed cast their cares upon you. Praying for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are uh, two days um, in, my, in my life that will... I mean, there's several, of course, but there's two specific ones that really are standing out in my mind that I think I'll have a hard time forgetting. When my mind starts fading at some point in the future, I think these two days will stick around. Uh, the first was when my firstborn son was born. Now, we have four children, um, but for some reason, the other three don't stick in the brain the same way. But number one, because I was a new father, it was new to me, everything was brand new, that day stuck in my mind. And then the second day was the day that that son got married. Now, again, I've got four, child, four children, but he's the only one that got married. So it, these are just memorable moments for me. I remember that January morning about 23 years ago, a little over that now, um, but we were overwhelmed. I, I remember feeling overwhelmed. I don't know how exactly Vanessa felt. She had to deliver the baby. I just had to stand there. So I, she had to feel a whole other set of stuff. But I was feeling overwhelmed with love and pride and responsibility. Um, some of y'all that have brought home a child from the hospital, you know how that is. There's this, you're excited, but man, you're like, this is mine. I got to do something with this now. So there was, a, there was that. Um, and if you knew my son, his name is Harrison. He's a, he's a very independent, very strong-minded young man, has always been that way from, from, littlest, uh, from, the, from his littlest age. But I remember when we brought him home that evening for that first night, as much as he had a strong mind so many years, you know, over the years, that first night when he, we brought him home, every ounce of worry, every ounce of care and concern, it wasn't on him. It was on my shoulders and my wife's shoulders. We bear, bore all of that that first night. Now, as some of you that have older children, maybe even adult children, you know this better than I do, those responsibilities shift over the years. You know how that goes. I mean, when they're little, you do certain things and you do a little less for them as they, as they age. Uh, and our responsibilities have shifted with him. As I mentioned, he just got married back this past spring. He just got married. Wonderful lady uh, named Rachel. They, they live up in Wilkes County now. He works for the Sheriff's Department. We're proud of him. He's, he's doing a great job there. So I remember that. But, but as, as our relationship has matured, and I think that's really the right way to think about it, it's matured. I try to make sure he knows this. I hope he knows this. I've tried to tell him this, but you never know if he really knows this. But I hope he knows he can bring his, he knows he can bring his cares to me, his, his worries to me. I'm never going to stop being that boy, well now man, that man's father. I'm never going to stop that. 
even if I'm disappointed with what he does, I'm not going to stop. I'm still going to be praying and working towards his best, even when I disagree with the direction he's heading in. Even if he doesn't come to me for help, I'm still going to care about him. I don't think I'm alone in that. Again, I'm looking out at some people who I'm sure at least some of you have children, whether they're very young or uh, adult children, you, you can appreciate that you have a similar feeling. You may get mad as the devil at them, but you love them and you care for them and you're going to do everything you can and you're working hard for them. That kind of intense, never ending, always and ever present, always working concern. That kind of feeling, that kind of love, I think is exactly the kind of feeling and love that Peter's talking about in this passage when he's telling you to cast your cares on him for he careth for you because I just described for you the emotions that I have as a, as a human father. I love my children. I do. I try to do the best I can for my children. But I am, as Jesus said, a sinful earthly father, and I know how to give good gifts to my children. How much more does your heavenly father, who is perfect in every way, how much more does he know how to give good gifts to his children? So from this passage, we just read verse 7 because that's the, per the verse that we kind of, if you know this passage at all, that verse is anchored in your mind. But, but I want to expand on that verse a little bit, look around, the, around this passage just a little bit because within it here, I think we're going to have a command, something we're supposed to do, but also a comfort, something that makes us feel better, but also a caution, something we need to watch out for as we are going through this. But ultimately, all pointing to this fact that Whatever is on your mind, whatever is worrying you, whatever is weighing you down, we need to just pick it up and cast it on the broad and capable, capable shoulders of Jesus Christ. Cast all your cares on him, for he careth for you. The first thing I want to point out to you is we need to cast our cares on him because of who he is. He is God. I want you, you, you you're, if you hope your Bible's still open, go back to verse 6. He says there in verse 6 that we need to humble, ourselves, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Because the comfort we get from verse 7, I can cast my cares on him because he cares for me, it is ground, it is based on the command that comes here in verse 6. I can't cast my cares on him if I don't obey verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Point being, he's God. It's the mighty hand of God. This simply means it's his hand that accomplishes things. It's his hand that does things. He is absolutely capable of handling everything. He can handle whatever you throw at him. You may say, well, I've got a big problem. God can handle that. My problem's too small. God can handle that too. He, there's nothing you can't throw at him because his hands are mighty to catch it, not just catch it, but to deal with it, to solve it, and to, and, to, and, to, and to resolve your problem. The problem is, too many times, and I'm speaking from my personal experience, also speaking on the authority of God's Word, and I imagine it's probably your experience too, that comfort that we get from verse 7, to cast my cares on him because he careth for me, the fact that that's available, I have that available to me. It is comforting to know I can throw my cares on the Lord, but that comfort is prevented because of my foolish pride. 
My pride gets in the way. Watch this why he says you have to humble yourself before the Lord, the mighty hand of the Lord of, of God, because he's going to exalt you when he's ready to do it. The problem is you can't, rather, he, he, you, if, you're, if you uh, won't cast them on him, if you don't trust his mighty hand, you're sitting there, what are you doing? You're carrying them around yourself. You're carrying your burden yourself. So why don't we? What is that thing that I was riding down the road talking to the Lord about, why didn't I want to immediately cast it to the Lord? Why did I want to hold on it to myself? Why is that? Why is that thing that you're worried about, that frustrates you, that continuously comes back to your mind for years now, why is that still bothering you? Because, again, I speak for myself when I say, because I am working to exalt myself. Meaning, I'm trying to dig myself out of my own ditch. I'm trying to figure this thing out by myself. I have been taught from a little boy, you make a mess, you clean it up. And that's a good practice. But when we're talking about these kinds of problems that, that worry us and weigh us down, what, do, what does the Bible say? You've got that worry, cast it on the Lord. You've got that care, cast it on the Lord. You've got that problem, throw it to the Lord. Give it to Him. That's what we're supposed to do. It is futile. It is, in fact, prideful to try to do what ourselves, what God has already promised to do. Y'all remember the story all the way back in the, the first family, Cain and Abel. Y'all remember this? First, first two boys that ever come on the planet, and one of them kills the other one. Now, why do they do that? Why do they do that? Because God gave instruction on how to worship him. Abel obeyed. Cain said, I got a better idea. And he didn't like that God didn't like his idea. He's trying to exalt himself. And I can just tell you, you can try anything you want to, but you'll never please God on your own. You'll never solve your problem on your own. It's not until we humble ourselves, see him as powerful, ourselves as weak and incapable, until we get to that point, we're never going to enjoy the comfort of his care. You will never enjoy that. I, I want to take you all the way back. I'm talking to you all on a Wednesday night, so I'm imagining... Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, the Lord's the one who judges this, but I'm imagining most of y'all have at some point in your life confessed faith in Jesus Christ. So I would say that we're talking to believers here, at least you would self-proclaim as that. I know that's the Lord's judgment to make, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that's my assumption tonight. And based on that, I want to take you all the way back to that time that you did put your faith in Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus save you? Because you were at the right place at the right time? Why did he save you? Because you said the right words? Because you, you knew where to be? You knew the right... No, no. He saved you because you said, I need a Savior. And you're the one. I'm putting my faith in you. That's what salvation's all about. And you'll never know the joy of eternal life until you put yourself in the humble position to say, I can't and you must. We know that from salvation. As Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, are you so foolish? that you started out that way, that you're going to finish a different way? No. You start out in faith, in humble faith that the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christian walk, the, the, the life that we live is built, it's lived by putting our faith in Him. So you'll never, you'll never get the comfort of His care. You'll never appreciate the comfort of His care until you humble yourself. Uh, talking about my son Harrison... When he was much younger, he's, he's bigger than I am now. He's huge now, so I would hate for him to do what I'm about to tell you now. But at back, back a few years ago, he was much smaller. And we would, for one reason or another, we're traveling places. Maybe I had a work 
meeting that I needed to go to, or we were just doing it for a vacation, but we would stay at a hotel that had a pool from time to time, again, occasionally, and he would love that. He just loved it when he was a kid. And one of the things he liked to do was, I'm standing there, I'm the big dad, standing there in the pool, and he's on the edge of the pool, and he wants to jump into the water and jump to dad. And that was fine. Great. Like I said, I would hate for him to do it now. He's bigger than I am. If he did it, he'd kill me. But, but, but that time when he did it, it was fine. And he would, and he got pretty creative at it. And, and I, I'm not the most agile fellow in the world. There were some times when he would start slinging himself at me, and I wasn't ready for him. And I would just, oh, my goodness, barely catch him, and he'd about go under the water. But he loved to do that. When he was real little, he loved to do that. He didn't even think twice about throwing himself into my arms. Why? Because in his mind, dad could catch him. Dad's hands were strong. Dad's body was built for that. That's in his mind. He could have no worries, no problem, no question, because he thought and he trusted his dad. It comes down to when you're able to throw yourself at something, when you're throwing your problems at something, it suggests that you have faith in that thing that you throw yourself at. Well, so my son, when he threw himself at me, he had faith that dad's going to catch him, right? So, <laughs> what does it say about where your faith is based on what you do with the cares that consume you? What do you do with those things? That tells me, if I'm keeping myself, who do I think is the strong hand? I think Matthew's got this. If I'm throwing it on my friend because he or she you know, is a nice listening ear, and I think that's how I'm going to handle it, well, who am I got my faith in? I've got my faith in my friend. If I'm going to, if I'm going to solve it by, you know, throwing money at the problem, if I'm going to solve it by, by ignoring the problem, all those things that I try to do to do that, I'm, that's what I'm casting my care on. That's what I believe is the, the thing I have my faith in. But the point I'm trying to get you to see is that God is the one who has power over all. He is the one that has the mighty hand. He is the one that told us in Matthew chapter 6 that we should take no thought for tomorrow because he is the one that's in control. He's the one that can, he, he provides for the birds, he provides for the grass, he provides all that stuff. Why do we have to worry? He invented us. We are here at his mercy. We are here because he, it was, we are his idea. And if you're a Christian, you're one of his children. He loves you. If he loved you while you were a sinner, Romans 5, verse 8, if he loved you when you were condemned to die, how much more does he love you now? So I'm trying to get you to see he's God. He's powerful. When you got that problem, you know what you need to do? Throw it on the one who can because he's able to handle what you've got. So the first thing I want you to see is casting all our cares on him because he is God. He is God. But I also want you to see that we should cast our cares on him because he's already on it. He's already addressing your problem. Go, go with me again to verse 7. I just want you to pay attention to the words that are, that are written here. He says, casting all your care upon him. And I want you to pay attention to this last phrase, for or because he careth for you. So we can throw our burdens on him. We can throw the thing that bothers us on him because or for he careth for you. When he says there that he careth for you, what he doesn't, what he's not saying is that he cares for you in the way that we have nice warm feelings for each other. Oh, I care a lot about you. That's not what that word means. It's not about just 
feeling good feelings towards each other. I know he loves you. He does have good feelings towards you. Don't get me wrong. But that's not what he's talking about here. That idea of God caring for you in this verse, it connotes really effective concern. Some people appreciate this illustration. Some people don't. So forgive me if you're among those that don't, but I'll go ahead and do it because it's helpful to me. You ever watch any of those old mob movies and they're talking about the mob boss is talking to the underling? I need you to take care of it. He's not talking about going and loving on anybody. He's talking about handling a problem, you understand. That's what I'm getting across here. It's an effective concern. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's it's something that he cares about. It's important to him. But he's saying, I'm going to take care of it, much like we might take care of a car or take care of a garden. We're going to effectively put our hands to it and do something about it. That's what he's saying there. He says there, you can cast your care on God because he's already involved in it. He's working on it. He's already got his hand on it. He's active in your circumstances I'll just tell you, even if you don't know that he's active, sometimes I, I kind of get to this point where, like, where's God at in all this? Doesn't he know that I'm hurting right now? Doesn't he know that I'm in pain? Doesn't he know that I'm frustrated right now? And I want to just reassure you, he absolutely knows everything. He doesn't just know it, he feels it too. As, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews, I think it's 4 verse 15, that we have a high priest who's touched with our infirmities. He knows, he appreciates, he feels what you're feeling. So God is already there with you, in the boat with you. But this, what I'm trying to get across to you, if you've ever heard of the concept of the sovereignty, the absolute sovereignty of God, that's what this is about. He's already active in the circumstance. We quote the verse that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to him that are the called according to his purpose. Where does that come from? Where, where is that thing that work it out for good? It's just in some sort of cosmic sense it's all going to work out. No, no. There's a God in heaven that we trust who's involved, actively concerned, and effectively concerned. He is not sitting on the sidelines hoping it's all going to work out. He is involved in making it happen. He knows what the president's up to. He knows what Congress is up to. I, I know that there's, there's uh, you know, they're, they're talking now with this rise in the, the infection rate, the virus and all. What are they going to do? Masks again, all this other stuff. And, and I don't know what they're going to do. And we might all have an opinion about what they should do. But I can tell you, God knows exactly what's going to happen. Not just knows what's going to happen, but I happen to believe, based on the Bible, he's involved in all of that, and it will be caused the way that he wants it to be done. He's actively working on whatever it is you're worried about right now. Let me say it another way to you as well. If you're a child of God, the things that concern you concern God. Again, I bring you back to the illustration that I started out with with my child. I, everything that worries my son, now I might have a different answer than he does, but if he's worried about it, you know who else is worried about it? Dad's worried about it. It's on my mind. Now, I might already have solved it. Maybe it's a, 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 a bill that needed to pay, be paid or, a, or, or some, some decision that needed to be made. I may already have the answer. And he's there sitting there worried about it. But you know what? If he was worried about it, you know who else was worried about it? And by worried, I mean I'm concerned, I'm actively involved. You know who else is? Me. I just want to take you back to the Father, uh, the Father above, the 
our God the Father, who is a better father than any father you could ever imagine. If you're worried about it, you know who else is involved in it, who's concerned about that? He is. If it's your problem, it's his problem. Are you not a child of God? Is, is he not care for his own? I would argue that the, our, our Father in heaven, the heavenly Father, that he is a better Father than anybody can imagine. And I can guarantee you, if you're concerned, he's concerned. And he's actually able to do something about it. He's actively involved with it. Now, so we want to cast our cares on him because he's God and he can handle it. We want to cast our cares on him because he's already actively involved in it. But I want you to see the warning here in verse 8. We need to cast our cares on him because if you don't do that, your cares are going to destroy you. Now, he says there in verse 7, to cast, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I happen to believe that this is, these are connected thoughts that we need to cast our cares on him because if we don't cast our cares on him, do you know who's there? Because we're sitting there weighted down with our cares. You know who's there ready to pounce on us? The roaring lion of the devil. He's looking for every crack and crevice to get in and to destroy us and to take away our effectiveness. You see, I think sometimes we, we forget what he says there in verse 7. Go back to that. He says, casting how many of your cares? All of your cares. That means the little cares. That thing that frustrates you, that you think, I know I ought not be frustrated about, but it frustrates me nonetheless. Do you know that God cares about that? And I mean care about it in the sense there, he's actively involved in that. You just need to cast it on him. That little thing that, that, that upsets you, that, that you feel like it's just nobody else wonders about this. This is just something that bothers me. The Father cares about it. So all of those cares. So the little ones, but also the big ones. The stuff that matters now, the stuff that matters in eternity, all of your cares, because every one of those are little cracks and crevices that the devil will find to get into your life, to take you down, to take away your effectiveness, to make you not able to do what you're supposed to do, because he is looking to destroy, to seeking whom he may devour. Let me say it another way for you. The problem's not the problem. You know, that thing that you're worried about, that is not the real problem. Why am I saying that? I'm not saying your problem's not real. That's not what I said. Your problem's real. It hurts. It's, 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 it's holding you back. It's frustrating. I get all that. But that's not the real problem. Why? Because we have a God who can, right? We have a God who's able. A God who we can throw it on, and he has a mighty hand to catch and to handle anything we throw. So the problem's not the problem. The problem is how we handle the problem. Again, I keep coming back just because it's on my mind. I don't know, it may be on y'all's mind too. If it's not, I'm sorry I'm bringing it up. But um, this, this whole situation with the, with the virus and what's, it may be coming back and these variants and all that stuff. And there's some people, and myself, obviously, I'm bringing it up, so it's worrisome to me. Like, what in the world's on people? What is the world's happening here? And I, and I will say to you right now that the, the virus itself and the precautions we may have to take or we did have to take, we may have to take again, them, those things in themselves are not demonic. But the resulting division that comes because of that, the worry that comes from that, the arrogance that comes from that from other people, the spiritual damage that can come from that, because we, instead of saying, Lord, this is a bad situation, 
we're going to cast it on you and we're going to trust you. Instead of doing that, we sit there and again, we might argue, we might fight, we might never come back to church, we may, whatever the thing, we got all kinds, we, everybody's got their own reaction, don't they? But this is what we're talking about here. The problem's not the problem. The reaction or how we handle the problem is the real problem. Because my hope, my hope cannot be in solving my problems. My hope must be in Jesus Christ alone. He is my hope. He is the only one that is my hope. In fact, he says there again, you saw in verse 8, he says to be sober because the devil's coming after you. But he says in verse 9, whom, speaking about the devil, resist. So we can resist the devil. So whom resist? How? Steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in the faith. You can't handle your own cares, but you can resist the devil's attack through faith in our Lord, putting our faith in Him. So we can resist the devil and say, listen, he's coming at me, he's looking for cracks and crevices in my life, but I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to take this thing that's weighing me down and I'm going to chuck it on his shoulders. I'm going to let him handle it. I'm going to throw it to the Lord. I'm not going to let the devil get a foothold. Instead, I'm going to have faith in Christ to know that he, I'm going to be able to push back on the devil Then the Lord is going to handle my problem. He goes on to say in verse 9, he says, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, saying that you're not the only one that's had to deal with this. But go with me to verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. You not only have the opportunity to resist the devil in faith, putting your faith in Christ, you actually have the opportunity to chase. If you will take off... <laughs> I don't know if y'all ever done much running or anything like that. If you ever have to get a little speed on you, you don't want stuff weighing you down, do you? So what we want to do is we'll take those things that are weights. Hebrews talks about this, those weights that easily beset us. We want to take those things and we want to throw them on the Lord, push back on the devil, say, Lord, listen, leave me alone. I put my faith in Christ. And then start chasing what God has called us to, which he says there in verse 10, it is, we have been called into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Pursue the glory of Christ. I get to do that when I cast my cares on him. But if I'm sitting there weighted down with those things, trying to solve them by myself, the devil's ready to pounce, and I can't chase what God's called me to do. I have to stand there and take whatever the devil's given me. He does say again in verse 10, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, in verse, verse 9, go back to that again, where he talks about there's other people who've, who've, who've had these afflictions so it's not to say that you're never, as a Christian, going to have any, any bad problems or any, any pains. You're going to suffer. You're going to deal with some of these. You're still going to have problems. But, go to verse 10. talks about there chasing the glory of God in verse 10. But then the last part, he says, after you have suffered a while, you're going to have problems. But he will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. But we will put our faith in Jesus. We will take our troubles and we will put them on the shoulders of God. We'll let him handle them. He's going to give us purpose. He is going to ground us, put some solid footing underneath us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to give us peace, settling us. That's what he does. If we will, go back to verse 7, casting all your care on him, upon him, for he careth for you. That's what it takes. Yes, that's a comfort. I can do that. That's wonderful. It's a comfort. But if I don't do that, there's a caution that you need to hear. You're going to make things worse. I think the best way I can kind of get this, drive this home for you is just to tell you 
uh, an embarrassing story about something that happened to me. Uh, a few years ago, I had a little Chevy, Chevrolet Aveo. So they don't make those anymore. It's a little South, South Korean job, and uh, they just put a bow tie logo on it. And uh, it's a little simple car. It was fun to drive, just didn't, nothing really bad wrong with it. But one day, the, the catalytic converter went out on that thing. Now, y'all need to know something about me. I am not a mechanic. I don't really, I, I, I don't know anything about anything. Now, I got Google and YouTube, and I can look stuff up, and I can try to do that. I do that occasionally, uh, especially with minor things. But a catalytic converter, for me at least, y'all, it might be a, not a thing for y'all, but for me, it's kind of a big job. It's not something I'm going to do. But when I went and talked to the guy at the, the garage and he told me how much it was, I said, let me see if I can't figure this thing out. So I got the part. I was proud of myself. I got the old one off. It was all rusted or, you know, uh, kind of just solidly put in place. But I got it off of there. It was, I was proud of myself. I was proud of myself. I got the new part on there. It looked beautiful. Everything was perfect. Cranked it up, and it sounded like I was at the drag strip. It just sounded like everything was growling. And I was like, what did I do wrong? Called up my father-in-law and said, what, this is what happened. What happened here? He said, now, did they give you a little gasket, a little rubber thing? And I was like, this little thing? They're like, yeah, that, that little thing. And he said, that, you need to put that in there. That'll, that'll help it. And I said, okay, no problem. I got it out before I can put it in. Well, again, this is where it gets embarrassing. Apparently, when I put those bolts and everything back in there, I had cross-threaded some stuff in there. And if you know anything about what I just said, which I couldn't have told you except I had to go through this, you know that I just made a humongous mess. There was no way to get that thing out of there. No way. And I tried some almost dangerous things to try to get it out of there. I couldn't get it out. Those bolts were in there. They might as well just have been melted in there. They, I couldn't get them out to save my life. Would you know that I messed with that car trying to do whatever I could, trying just weird stuff, because I don't know what I'm doing. You understand that? Did I make that clear? I don't know what I'm doing. I tried that for probably about two months. Sat in my garage, couldn't take it nowhere, trying to get it, trying to work it, just couldn't do it. My wife, Vanessa, she said, well, Matthew, why don't you just take it to the garage? They'll fix it. it won't, it'll cost you a little money, but it'll be done. I was like, no, I got this. I got to do this. And, I, and I, again, I'll confess to you. It was long enough time I can confess this. I was a little embarrassed. I'd made a mess. I should have done it to start with. I, if I'm going to take it back to them, I'm not going to save any money. I'm going to pay what, that and probably pay more because they have to fix my mess. To, you know. So I was just embarrassed by it. I'm telling you that to say I had a problem, and there was a man who was about three miles down the road who could fix my problem, as long as I'd pay him a little money, you understand. But he could fix my problem. But I didn't want to do it because I wanted to fix it myself. Can, you, can I tell you how many miles that car moved while it was sitting in my garage with the, the catalytic converter not completely working? It didn't go nowhere. The effectiveness of that vehicle was absolutely zero because my pride wouldn't let me get it out of the garage, take it to the guy who knows how to fix it, pay him a little money, and get it back on the road. I, I just wouldn't do it. Now, I, since then, it's been back on the road. It's been wrecked now. It's a long story. But long story short, I finally did what I needed to do, take it to the man who could. I'm trying to tell you that to say that your stresses, some of them you may say, if I was to talk to you about it, you may say, well, Matthew, it's not that big of a deal. I just want to tell you, even those things aren't that big of a deal. There's stresses in your life. Those things are heavier than you realize. They are sapping you 
of your effectiveness in the calling that God has on your life, in your family, in your job, in your church, in your community. They will undermine that. If you're a believer, he will, it will make you useless and joyless until you cast that on the Lord. If you're not a believer, if Jesus is not your Savior, the ultimate penalty will be that you will actually face death and damnation because you will not take what is burdening you and go to the one who can handle the problem. In Jesus Christ, the worst thing that's ever happened, ever could happen, has already happened. He was nailed to the cross. God, was, God crushed him for you. Everything that could ever go wrong went wrong on the cross for you. So I want to go ahead and tell you, take what is crushing you now, that worry, go ahead and pass it on to him. He's got this. It's not a problem for him. You really have a very simple choice. You can go on and try to handle your problem yourself, work towards the goals of your life, and be destroyed under it. And if you're not a Christian, you'll suffer eternal damnation. You are a Christian, you will endure temporal uselessness. Or, you could take that and cast it on the Lord. Humbly follow God's plan and allow the most powerful person in the universe to fight your battle. That sounds like a better idea to me. It just does. I don't know why I don't do it more. <laughs> it's just too obvious. Why don't I do it more? But I want to invite you to chuck it all on the Lord. Just whatever you got, throw it in his direction. Because as he says there in verse 11, to him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. He is the powerful one. Why don't you trust him?